0: It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 256 for August 21st, 2011. Recorded August 18th. This looked like it might be kind of a short program this week. But during the week, things kept popping up, so it might actually be a longer-than-normal program. So let's get started. If you own any stock in Motorola Mobility, that's the mobile phone component that Motorola spun off as a separate company not long ago, you should be smiling this week. Overnight, the value of your stock increased by 60%. Six. 0%. Now that's not a bad return for a company that didn't seem to be particularly healthy. What happened? Well, Google happened. Now hang on just a second. I want to get these terms out of the way first. You'll probably see or hear most of them in the following weeks. Gugarola, Motorugal. Motagugarola, Gugamota. Gugamotagate. Moto All right, well, maybe the last three of those aren't too likely, but the first three certainly are. Google will pay $12.5 billion for the cell phone manufacturer. And even for Google, that's more than just pocket change. In fact, it's the largest acquisition ever for Google. Motorola makes Android phones. Those are the ones that Google supports, of course, with its Android software. Steve Jobs would say that Android isn't as popular as Apple's iPhone and its iOS software. And indeed, Android's market share has been dropping. Android's market share is now slightly under 50%. But by comparison, Apple has 30%. Of the market Apple's share has been growing since its phones became available for Verizon in addition to AT&T According to Google more than 150 million Android devices have been activated worldwide through a network of nearly 40 manufacturers and 231 carriers in 123 countries Each day about half a million Android devices are activated Now, Google doesn't claim that all of these activated devices represent new users of Android devices, and some of the phones certainly are being activated as replacements for existing Android devices. Google does say that its acquisition will not change its commitment to run Android as an open platform. Motorola will remain a licensee of Android, and Android will remain open. Motorola Mobility and its employees will apparently stay put in Illinois, and Google will run the company as a separate business. Quoting Google, many hardware partners have contributed to Android's success, and we look forward to continuing to work with all of them to deliver outstanding user experiences. As part of the acquisition, Google will also pick up more than 20,000 patents held by Motorola, Oh, by the way, here's a personal note to Google CEO Larry Page. When are you going to offer a mobile phone service? The United States needs a new mobile phone service. We have AT&T. We have Verizon. The also rants include Sprint, Nextel and T-Mobile. But AT&T is about to gobble up T-Mobile. Years ago, I kept changing lawn care service providers because a large company that I didn't like kept buying the companies I selected. I don't want to be an AT&T customer. I don't want to be a Verizon customer. I'm not sure I want to be a Google customer either, but at least you would offer a third option, and you're big enough that neither AT&T nor Verizon would be likely to eat you. So, how about it? Come on. Let's offer the service, too. I'm always a bit amused when somebody asks me, what kind of camera do you use? The question usually follows a comment about an image that I'm particularly happy about. In most cases, the correct answer is, well it doesn't matter. If you're wondering why, stick around for just a moment. I have a Nikon D200 DSLR. That's my choice when I need to be able to shoot quickly, but I don't have it with me all the time. There's a Canon point and shoot, abbreviation for that is POS. One of those cameras is in the briefcase that I carry to and from work, and most people can't tell which of those two cameras took a particular image. When I want the ability to shoot raw format images, which is my preference in all cases, but I don't want the bulk and the weight of the Nikon DSLR, then I call on an advanced POS from Canon, the D12. Composition delay and shutter lag would make this camera unsuitable for capturing images of, oh, say, the Indianapolis 500, but it's more than adequate for most of what I do. The D12 has a much smaller sensor than the Nikon, so the images will contain more noise. There's no escaping the law of physics, and the smaller sensor will always be noisier than a larger sensor. Even so, on a recent trip to the Franklin Park Conservatory, I was able to capture several pleasing images of flowers and blown glass art. Now, Neither of those move around very much, but I also got some bees and some butterflies, and both of those do move a lot, and with total disregard for the photographer. Here's my secret. When I came back from the Franklin Park Conservatory, I had nearly 200 images I was able to rule out about half of them in a quick run-through. Following some additional work on the images for cropping, color correction, and some other enhancements, I trimmed the output to about 60 images, and then to about a dozen or so that I'm particularly happy with. So, it's not the kind of camera you use, but how much effort you put into capturing the images, and how many images you capture. If you'd like to see the other pictures from the Franklin Park Conservatory, you will find a link to those from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Here is what I would call another badly chosen Microsoft default. Microsoft has a nasty habit of creating useful features that only a few people will want, and then making those features the default. A coworker came to me with a question this week about Excel. He had filled in several cells with numbers and then colored the cells yellow. He found that when he entered additional numbers in the same column that they were also highlighted yellow. He didn't want that. But no, this is not a case of conditional formatting. I checked his spreadsheet. No rules were defined. So, after confirming that he was not using conditional formatting, I decided to try to replicate the problem in Excel 2007. I got the same results. Then I tried Excel 2010. Same thing. Try this yourself. Open an Excel spreadsheet. Select a cell. Enter a number. Press enter. Then select the cell and color it yellow. Press enter again to move to the next cell. Enter another number. Press enter. Select the cell, color it yellow. Press ENTER once again to move to the next cell. Enter yet another number, press ENTER, then select the cell and color it yellow. Press ENTER, and you'll move to the next cell. So far, so good. Enter a number. Now press ENTER, and the cell will automatically be highlighted yellow, or whatever color you selected previously. Sometimes after skipping a few cells, a cell with a number will not be highlighted. For my second test, I tried this. Type 123. Press ENTER. Manually color the cell yellow. Press ENTER. Type 123. Press ENTER. Manually color the cell yellow. Press ENTER. Type 123. Press ENTER. Manually color the cell yellow. Then press ENTER. Type 123. Press ENTER. Excel will color the cell yellow. Press ENTER. Type 123 again. Press enter and Excel will color the cell yellow. Type 456 and press enter. <laughs> Excel colors the cell yellow. Press enter again. Press enter once more to skip a cell and press enter again to skip a cell. Now type 789 and press enter. Uh, Excel colors the cell yellow. I don't want that. Press enter. Press enter once again to skip yet another cell. Type 10 and press enter. Uh, now, Wait a minute, what's going on here? Excel adds no color to that cell. Type 111 and press Enter. No color again. 123 and Enter. Nope, no color. What the heck is going on here? Uh, the workaround I found was simply to specify the column as Text instead of General, but that seemed too heavy handed. There had to be a way to turn that feature off, I thought. But all of my searches led to discussions of how to automatically color cells and not how to make automatic coloring stop. Fortunately, Excel's most valued professionals, or MVPs, hang out at a specific Microsoft website. And when I asked there, I was actually embarrassed by the answer. Siddharth Root wrote from the UK, Yes, this behavior is by default, and you can switch it off. In Excel 2010, select the File tab, Excel Options, and then Excel Options dialog box. Click on the Advanced tab. In that tab, uncheck the option that says Extend Data Range Formats and Formulas. (sighs) Well, I should have thought to look there. But I didn't. I can understand why a user might want this behavior, but it seems to be that most users won't want Excel to change cell colors on its own. This by the way is not an isolated instance of misdirected and unwanted assistance from Microsoft. One of Microsoft's worst decisions ever was to hide file extensions by default. That would be in the Microsoft Explorer interface. Knowing what kind of file you're looking at then requires understanding the meaning of the file's icon. Dumb. Both Word and Outlook will automatically replace a word it thinks I've misspelled with the word that it thinks should be there unless I turn the feature off. For example, I type refeed, R-E-F-E-E-D, meaning to send a data file again. Outlook changes that to Reefed, R-E-E-F-E-D, meaning to reduce the size of the sails on a sailboat. Why? Show me the word if you must, but don't automatically change it. Microsoft's developers have a lot of really good ideas when it comes to making applications help the people who use them. But the developers really need somebody nearby who has enough common sense to recognize that when one of those really good ideas will simply confuse those of us who use the applications. In short circuits, could I offer you a laptop computer for $33.33? Well, do you think you can buy a laptop computer for thirty-three thirty-three? Apparently, somebody has convinced Google that it's okay to run an ad making this claim. This is an offer I've been seeing recently when I view Google Mail. Do you really think I can buy a working laptop computer for $33.33? What do you think you might really be able to get for less than 50 bucks? A few parts, perhaps? Certainly not a functional computer. Now, recently I purchased a used computer for $169. That's a dollar less than $170. It's an IBM ThinkPad laptop, about six years old, with a Pentium 4M processor, two gigabytes of RAM, and a 30 gigabyte hard drive. It came with Windows XP, but I installed Windows 7 on it, even though the video subsystem isn't beefy enough to support Aero. Even so, $169 was an incredibly good buy. For the purpose this computer was needed, I didn't want or need a high-performance laptop, just a machine that would run Windows 7 adequately and handle some web browsing. But take a look at the ad on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Examine the ad by Google. Notice that it doesn't actually offer laptops for thirty three dollars and thirty three cents no and because of that i can't actually call the advertisement a fraud and i can't say that google is a willing participant in what i can't call a fraud the ad says thirty three dollars and thirty three cent overstock laptops and there's a question mark at the end well the reasonable answer is of course not And then there's the weasel worded as low as, which is the equivalent of $33.33 and up, way up. Oh, I'm sorry, we sold all those $33.33 computers, but we do have some really great computers for $3,333. Would you like one of those? I don't know which is sadder. The utterly ridiculous offers that show up, such as this, Or the fact that Google accepts them, apparently without question. Or maybe the fact that they apparently work because suckers are still being born every minute. If you pay any attention to the language that runs the web, that's HTML, then you may know that a lot of people, including me, thought that the future would be XHTML. The goal was to make HTML more like XML, and to make it more compliant with standards than is HTML. A badly written XHTML file would simply not be rendered by a browser. That decision had the potential to break millions of pages. Even though TechWriter Worldwide has used XHTML transitional specifications, For the past couple of years, most of the pages on the site probably wouldn't pass XHTML strict specifications. You can thank one of the more standards-compliant browser companies, Opera, for making enough fuss that the push to XHTML was dropped, at least for now. Instead, the future is HTML5, And the specification for it is currently hovering around 1,000 pages. Fortunately, about two thirds of those pages tell the people who write browsers how the browsers should render code, even if that code is badly written. The other third is for people like me, those of us who write web pages. The annual website design for TechBinder Worldwide will go live in January 2012, and this site will probably probably, be coded in HTML5. I'll need to make that decision by mid-October at the latest, and the decision will be based on how well the current crop of browsers support the HTML5 features that I want to use. In fact, Internet Explorer 9, Chrome 13, Firefox 6, and Opera 11.5 all do a reasonably good job with the new standard. Not all of the earlier browser versions, particularly Internet Explorer, will fare so well, though. And that has to be part of the decision because some people fail to update their browsers despite the security dangers of not doing so. In most current browsers, HTML5 should degrade gracefully. That means that if you're not using the latest browser, you might not see the site as I intended it to be seen, But it shouldn't break your browser, and it should be readable. Speaking of browsers, Firefox 7, the beta version, was released late this week. Apparently, that means that the current stable version of Firefox is 6. Firefox was released in 2004, the first version. Firefox 2 came in 2006. Firefox 3 in 2008, Firefox 4 in March of this year, Firefox 5 in June of this year, Firefox 6 in August of this year, and Firefox 7 in beta right now. Are you surprised? You shouldn't be. Here's the scoop from Wikipedia, and I quote, A draft roadmap indicates that Mozilla hopes to release versions 6 and 7 in 2011 following the release of Firefox 5 in June. Despite the incremented major version numbers, these versions will be smaller incremental updates, primarily focusing on improving speed, stability, and security. As of July 2011, Firefox 6 is in beta testing, Firefox 7 is in the Aurora channel, and Firefox 8 is in the nightly test build channel. Here's a note from TechBiter Worldwide. Access logs show that Firefox 8 has been used to access the TechBiter Worldwide website. Firefox 8 is supposed to be 20% faster than Firefox 5, measured on several metrics, placing it on a par with the performance of the in-development Google Chrome 14. Firefox 7 is scheduled to be released in September It will use as much as 50% less memory than Firefox 4 as a result of the MemShrink project to reduce Firefox memory usage. Oh boy. The rate of change continues to exceed the rate of progress. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.